What up, what up, what up? Welcome back to Sam Dunks, Slab Stocks' weekly NBA update podcast. You can go find us on Instagram at Slab Stocks. Tell your friends to give us a follow and to subscribe to our podcast. I'd really appreciate it. My intention was to get this podcast out yesterday. I've been trying to do it every Wednesday, so I apologize for my lateness. There's some unexpected things that came up in my other work, which ended up eating up the whole day. So here we are today, and that's okay because I have another night of games to work with. Uh, we're going to start out this podcast as a Timberwolves podcast, although Timberwolves fans might not actually enjoy a majority of it and might want to tune it out. I said on last week's pod that I love the Malik Beasley pickup for the Wolves, and being dirt cheap as he was, and still is, I gave him a solid buy as a cheap card. Uh, of course, as I mentioned, no base prism available, so Optic Hollow probably the best buy to make. And he's made me look like a genius so far, which is hard to do. In three games for the Wolves, he's averaging 22 points, almost seven rebounds, three assists. He's making nearly five threes a game on 42% shooting from deep and 43% from the field. All these things that we knew would happen, and it's been really good to see. Thumb still firmly on the buy now button. If he keeps this up, the Timberwolves will obviously re-sign him this summer as he's a restricted free agent. And then I think we'll see a nice little bump from there as well. Still not a whole ton of volume moving on eBay at all, but I think we should see that pick up as the season progresses and then heading into next season. Not going to be a huge dollar amount card ever, but you know if you buy an Optic Hollow ungraded for under 10 bucks, I still think you'll see a pretty decent return in the, in the three-digit percentage range. And that's really the name of the game. Now, for Beasley's sake, I was a bit disappointed that the Wolves also traded for D'Angelo Russell. I was a bit worried initially that it would take off some of Beasley's shine, and so far that really hasn't mattered much, at least on the court. For instance, uh, last night, Beasley still scored 28 points, and he attempted two more shot attempts than D'Angelo Russell, as it should be, so these are all good things to see. Now, speaking of D'Angelo Russell, though, we have seen a 50% increase over the course of the season in his prism-based rookie card PSA 10s, including a pretty large bump on the trade news, which is understandable, as this was the guy that the Timberwolves have been after for quite some time. He was an all-star last year, and the trade involved dumping Andrew Wiggins, who was the thorn in the side of Timberwolves fans for the past few years. So there's just a lot of good feelings around this move. This is the guy that the Wolves and Wolves fans have been desiring for a while, and finally they have him. In my mind, however, this is not a player you should be investing in. As I said last week, I know my Minnesota brethren very well. I love them. We are kindred spirits. But for all of the reasons why I think Malik Beasley is a good buy, the exact opposite of those reasons are true of D'Angelo Russell and why I think this would be a poor investment choice for you to make. Consider Beasley, who is coming in with all of in with excitement behind him, but with relatively low expectations by the fan base. And I think we've already seen some of those expectations blown away and why I think his cards will be on the rise. He doesn't pretend to be something he's not. He's just an exciting scorer, and that's exactly what he's done for three games. And he will excite this fan base and should become a fan favorite. Enough about Beasley. D'Angelo Russell. He is coming in with sky-high expectations. You saw Carl Anthony Towns show up at the airport with, with dozens of Timberwolves fans who were all there, and D'Angelo Russell with the camcorder, people holding signs. There was all sorts of excitement about him, and I really don't think there's many reasons for sky-high expectations. He's actually very comparable to Andrew Wiggins throughout his career. Poor efficiency, doesn't really do a whole ton to affect winning, doesn't even pretend to play a little bit of defense. 
He does score. He shoots from deep. He assists. But that's it. Which, for some players, like Beasley, that's good enough. But if you come in like D'Angelo Russell with sky-high expectations, it's just not going to be enough to keep people happy. You know, he was being labeled as an all-star guard to pair with Carl Anthony Towns, but lest we forget, he only became an all-star last year as an injury replacement. So he backed into the all-star game last year, and because of it, all of a sudden there's these expectations that now we're getting this all-star to pair with our own all-star, and he's just not that. You know, add to that the dumping of the of Wiggins in the deal, which which people really loved. Add to that the Carl Anthony Towns factor and how much he genuinely loves this guy and how good of friends they are. The feelings are just too good around Minnesota at the moment, and I don't think they're going to last very long. And Timberwolves fans, and really Minnesota fans in every single sport, they are a tortured fan base. They're desperate for a winner, and rarely has their fandom been rewarded by their teams. The idea is that pairing Russell and Towns is going to give them a winner, but neither of these guys have ever displayed that they're actually able to win. Look at Russell this year in Golden State, put up great numbers all year, and they were the worst team in the entire league. Yes, these guys are friends. Yes, they should be happy for a while, but I think we're only six months away from seeing them hanging out and tinkering with the NBA trade machine, trying to figure out how they can get to the same team elsewhere. This just does not feel like a marriage that's destined for success, and with bad feelings seeming to be around the corner, I'd just stay away. He's averaging 24 points, 8 assists, 1.5 steals, and shooting well in his two games in Minnesota, and what do you know, they have two losses to show for those games. I just do not think that this is a long-term success story. Now, the last wolf to talk about in our Timberwolves podcast is the young pup, Jarrett Culver. In my Instagram write-up for Slab Stocks a month or so ago, uh, we examined Culver when he was on the back of that four-game hot streak and everyone was going gaga over this guy and that he was finally turning the corner and that you should be buying him right now. I cautioned at the time in that write-up that it was just four games and we still really hadn't been given any reason to believe he would sustain it. Plus, I cautioned that he could be involved in a D'Angelo Russell trade, so I would not be buying. Well, I was wrong about the D'Angelo Russell trade, well, him being involved anyways, but he is actually probably in a worse situation now that Beasley and Russell are both in, and Culver's still stuck there. I was right about his productivity. Over the last 10 games, he's averaging only 6 points on 33% shooting, 31% from 3, 2 rebounds, 1 assist, and that's it. Just absolutely dreadful stuff. This guy is clearly not a buy target. Maybe he could be good, and I still really do like everything he did at Texas Tech, but as it stands right now, he's firmly behind Beasley and Russell in the guard rotation, and while he could play the wing, and that's going to be his best position going forward, there are absolutely terrible defenders around him, so the Wolves need their three to play defense, and Josh Okogie is worlds better on the defensive end than Culver is at this point, and we've seen in the last two games with both, both Beasley and Russell on the court, Culver got 21 minutes two games ago, and then 16 minutes the, the next game. You need to invest your resources elsewhere. Sell now if you are invested. A PSA 10 silver of his just auctioned for $201 last night. And if that's what you're able to get, you should be tripping over yourself to get your cards listed as quickly as possible and do it yesterday. All right, that's enough Wolves talk. 
Moving on to the hottest team in the NBA, the Toronto Raptors. Uh, not sure if you know this, but they had been riding a 15-game winning streak. Uh, that was until they dropped a game last night to the Brooklyn Nets. You know, like we saw during the Bucks' 18-game win streak earlier this year, no one really seems to pay attention to these these teams in the middle of the continent. The same thing is happening to the Raptors. You know, but this is a really good team. Even though their winning streak is done, uh, they still have good expectations for the rest of the year. Think about it. Last year, they won the championship. Then they lose one of the best players in the entire world. And now they still have the third best record in basketball this year. We've just not seen this before. And this is a team that is deep with great player development and a great coach, likely coach of the year at the helm with Nick Nurse. And a lot of their success revolves around their best player, Pascal Siakam. Here he is, a 25-year-old player who over this win streak was averaging 22 points, 7 rebounds, 3 assists, a steal, and a block. He's an all-star starter this year, which should be the first of a number of all-star appearances for the native Cameroonian. And yet his Prism Silver rookie card, PSA 10s, they are still most recently auctioning for around 330 bucks, which is down still from his heights of November when that same exact card was selling for in the $600 range. Now, this is all about the storylines. Riding into the year, going going, and having so much success to start the year without Kawhi Leonard, all the storylines and all the feelings were up, 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 and then he got hurt, and then Siakam lost a lot of that steam that had been pumping up his market. And that's why this is such a great buy opportunity at the moment. Now, the Raptors look like they could be going at least to the Eastern Conference Finals this year and going into next year, the year after that, assuming the Raptors keep playing as they are and assuming Siakam starts getting some of the notoriety that he deserves for his two-way dominance, I think this is the baseline of this guy going forward. Bye, bye, bye. Let's jump over to his fellow Cameroonian, Joel Embiid. Guys, I am worried about Embiid. You know, this is a toxic situation in Philadelphia, and things are looking like they're about to boil over. They're coming off of a few nice wins, but this is a team that is severely underachieving over the course of the year. Um, they played some of their best basketball when Embiid was sidelined with injury. Embiid and Ben Simmons, they just do not mesh well together. They both are at their best when they have free, way, free reign driving to the hoop, but they just cannot both be doing that at the same time. You know, when the offense is running through Simmons, Embiid just becomes a glorified stretch bids, big standing out on the perimeter, and he's only shooting 34% from deep this year. That's exactly how teams beat the Sixers. If they can force Embiid to just camp out on the arc and launch 10 threes a game, the Sixers are going to lose. But if Embiid is driving, well, then the same thing happens to Simmons, and he's obviously no threat at all from any sort of distance. Now, Embiid is not afraid to rock the boat. Uh, he posted an Instagram post the other day saying, you either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. That's the exact same thing that one James Butler posted a few years ago when he was trying to force his way out of Minnesota. On Embiid's post, Butler commented basically saying he wanted him to come down to Miami, and B Embiid replied basically agreeing with him. Now, outside of this team moving on to the finals and winning the finals... I really think that Embiid's relationship with Simmons and Philadelphia is deteriorating quickly and going to come to an end soon. I think we see Brett Brown fired this offseason, unless they win the championship, and I think we see them trying to trade Embiid. This is a team that is not afraid to make big moves, and because of all the bad feelings which seem to be inevitably coming, I'd stay away from Embiid. 
His base Prism PSA 10s are going for around $100 at the moment. And at that price, I would probably be selling if I was you. Now, although maybe he ends up in a better situation than Philadelphia, think what if the Golden State Warriors were able to make a trade for him, perhaps trade Andrew Wiggins, and if they get the first overall pick for Embiid, well, that could come back to bite you because I think we could see an increase for Embiid uh, in demand then. Uh, but for me, I'm probably selling. Uh, assuming the Sixers don't also trade Simmons this offseason, a trade of Embiid would really be good for Ben Simmons, so you should be buying him at the moment. His prism-based PSA 10s have also been going for around $100, which feels like a pretty decent buy. We saw him playing really, really well when Embiid was down for a while, and if he goes into next year and this is firmly his team, he is a good increase candidate. Uh, let's get into some more positive stuff. We've been dwelling on a lot of negative. Uh, Anthony, Sim uh, Anthony Simons, sorry, just talking about Ben Simmons. Anthony Simons, he is in a pretty decent position at the moment. Uh, we all saw Damian Lillard. He went down with a groin strain the other night. Should be out for some time. Really a bummer for the Trailblazers and for Lillard. You know, Lillard is coming off that historic stretch, and, and they're jockeying for a playoff spot. And that all is seemingly done for now. Now, I have no idea what this is going to do to Damian Lillard's market. If if you've ever strained your groin, you would know it is absolutely terrible. And depending on the severity, he could be sidelined for six weeks or up to even a couple of months. And I just don't know what that does to him. I don't know if it drops his market or even if it does drop it, I don't know if it really creates a buy opportunity because as we've seen with Lillard in the past, people just don't seem to care about him. He's been awesome now for, what, eight years? And yet it took one of the most dominant stretches we've ever seen for people to finally start buying in. And now that that stretch is done, who can really say if we'll ever see a rise in demand like that again with him? I do, however, think this creates an interesting opportunity for the young Anthony Simons. Now, I went on the record a while back, and even before the season, I did a podcast with Nathan and Aaron that I just didn't see where Simons was going to be getting the minutes, and with CJ and Dame playing next to him, how was he ever even going to get used when he was on the court? Well, Dame went down for a bit of time now, obviously, and I think we're going to see Simons actually start to get some burn. Last night, he played 28 minutes, and he played well. 22 points, making six threes. Not much else, but that's really all he does. So score, shoot threes. If he continues to get minutes for the next month or so, and he puts up points, maybe we see some of that offseason hype start to trickle back in. His ungraded Prism Silver Rookie cards are going on auction for around $13 right now, so a really small investment to make, and I think it might be worthwhile. I don't think he's a long-term play at all. Um, unless the Blazers traded McCollum in the offseason. Hey, Embiid for McCollum, both making $27 million. Huh? Could be interesting. Uh, but if you are looking for an, a cheap investment to make that you could potentially flip in a month, Anthony Simons is a decent bet. I don't know if he's going to get enough hype to really raise his demand over the, you know, the low teens. Um, but if he starts playing well and starts shooting well and starts getting those minutes, there could be an uptick, which could be a nice return for you. Uh, in that same vein, CJ McCollum is also going to have to be picking up a ton of slack in Damian Lillard's absence. So he's a decent short-term buy as well. But I really don't love either of these guys as long-term investments. All right, that is enough good feelings for now. Back to the negative. Buddy Heald. 
He's another player who's seemingly unhappy with his current situation. The rumors are that he's not happy with his coach, Luke Walton, and he wants to move on from the Kings. And I think the Kings are going to try to re-sign Bogdan Bogdanovich in the offseason as a restricted free agent. And it would be shocking if they wanted to pay both Bogdan and Buddy. I think we see Buddy on the move to his third team now and really... He's just not a very good player. He's not a good defender. He is a good three-point shooter, but that's really about it. And honestly, three-point shooters, they grow on trees in the NBA. He's long carried himself in post-game press conferences as a star, and he's just never done anything to earn that sort of treatment. In games that he's started, he is 80 and 114 in his career. He's just not getting the job done. A few PSA 10 Prism Silver Rookie cards went for over $100 and Buy It Now on, on Buy It Now's on eBay recently. His most recent PSA 10 Silver auction went for $70. If you can list yours as a Buy It Now for over $100 and get someone to bite, I think you have to do it. At this point, his name is carrying a ton of his value, and I just don't think we're ever going to see him as a main option on a good team. If he moves on to his third team, I think he loses a lot of value. I think you need to sell. You know what? I think Buddy is right to be upset with Luke Walton as his coach. Maybe not for the right reasons, but I do agree that Luke Walton's just not a very good coach. But he is not the worst coach in the league. That title belongs to one James Boylan of the Chicago Bulls. Did you see his idiotic press conference the other night? And with Wendell Carter out for a good chunk of time here, you know, we're all kind of wondering if the Bulls would play Daniel Gafford, who they drafted near the top of the second round of this past draft, and he was a pretty gifted young big. At the end of December, beginning of January, he had played a 10-game stretch in which he averaged 18 minutes per game. In that time, he averaged six points and nearly two blocks per, which for 18 minutes is pretty good. Uh, he was shooting 60% from the field. Over the next month, he saw only 10 minutes because he went down with a thumb injury. But he is back now, so you play him, right? Well, not according to Jim Boylan, who was asked why he didn't play Gafford, and he was said that his thumb was still sore. Uh, after being asked about four or five or six times the same question with reporters pressing about why he didn't play Gafford, Boylan admitted that his thumb was probably okay, but you know what? He needed to play Chris Felizio and Luke Cornett, which makes sense because, hey, anytime you have the opportunity to play two guys who are fringe NBA players at best instead of your 21-year-old rookie when you're sitting on a 1936 record, by all means, you do it. Boylan is a numbskull. And he should not be a coach in the NBA. He's effectively tanked the Bulls' season. Not that the Bulls started out with much hope anyways, but it's things like this. We've just seen it around the roster. You know, Wendell Carter, he was put in a position to fail this season. He's being forced into a blitzing defensive scheme that takes him away from the paint so that he just can't chase the blocks or the rebounds like he should be able to do. So Carter basically has lost his sophomore campaign, both between injuries and mediocre on-court product due to a coach that doesn't have any clue what he's doing. Laurie Markkinen is in the same boat. He's faced the same, the same problems all year. He's been injured a lot. But even when he was on the court, he was put in the worst position of his three-year career so far. And a lot of that falls on Jim Boylan for simply not putting his young players in positions to excel. Instead, he throws them under the bus any chance he can get. He said something a month ago, and I couldn't find the quote, but about, about Markkinen, who was finally doing a better job at trying to fight through injuries, basically just saying he's been soft so far in his career. And Markkinen is also supposedly discontent with his current situation, and he should be. Kobe White 
He's another player. He could potentially be good, or he could just be a bench chucker, which seems like the most likely outcome with Boylan at the helm. Long story short, as long as Boylan is the coach of the Chicago Bulls, you should not be buying anyone there. The front office, the front office is one of the worst front offices in the league, and they empowered Boylan to be the head coach when it was obvious from the beginning of his tenure that he should not be a head coach in the NBA. This is just a terrible destination for any young player, and we should be avoiding all bulls for the foreseeable future. And speaking of bad situations, and I was so negative on these guys last week, but I need to be negative again, the New York Knicks. I'm down on R.J. Barrett and Mitch Robinson. I was in favor of buying them last week, and I'm, I've been in favor of buying them in the past, but I need to reduce that to a firm hold wherever you are at. You know, I was hoping that the Knicks would trade more of their players. They did jettison Marcus Morris, which was great. That's a good positive. But they're still playing Bobby Portis about 18 minutes a night. They're still playing Julius Randle 33 minutes a night. And they are encouraging the offense to run through Julius Randle's spin moving in the post. And he's soaking up nearly 30% usage on the season. And it's such a bad developmental situation for the young Knicks. So I do not advise buying R.J. Barrett or Mitchell Robinson, both of whom who I think could have good careers. But with the New York Knicks and where they're at right now, I just don't know if we're ever going to see it. We might need some shakeup from the top down to ever see any young New York Knicks player actually find any success. I'm holding Barrett and Robinson and just hoping for the best. All right. I have been so negative throughout this podcast so far, and I apologize. So I feel like I need to give you a few buys before I go so that I don't just ruin your days. Uh, Let's start with Andrew Wiggins. Uh, Converse to what I said earlier about D'Angelo Russell, Wiggins now has really negative expectations surrounding him, but I think he's in a much better position to excel in Golden State than he ever was in Minnesota. He's played really well in his three games in the Bay Area so far, including last night, which was probably the best game of his career. 27 points, 4 rebounds, 5 assists, 2 steals, and 4 blocks. And he's got a much better coach now than he's ever had. There should be continuity for him that he just hasn't experienced before. And assuming he's not traded again this offseason, if he's lining up alongside Steph and Clay and Draymond next year, he's going to be in a good spot to start positively affecting games. I like Wiggins better now than I ever have before. His his Prism base rookie cards, uh, PSA 10 graded, are up to around $50 right now, which is a pretty good rise from earlier this season, but I think he's a fairly decent buy going into next year. And perhaps you could wait for the offseason and then buy at a bit of a discount. And next year, if the Warriors are good again, as they figure to be, I think the good feelings start to arrive for Andrew Wiggins and we see a nice uptick in his market. Another player that I think is a pretty decent buy opportunity is one Michael Bridges. He's one of those young guys that that I personally just like a lot because of what he brings on the defensive end. Super high energy, high impact defender, the type of player that Phoenix absolutely needs to be developing. But in October and November, he just wasn't getting the playing time. He was averaging under 20 minutes a game to start the season as a sophomore with a lot of potential. In December, thankfully, he saw that rise to 25 minutes per game. And since mid-January or the past month, he's been playing 33 and a half minutes per game. And he's really, and he started each of the last nine games and he's really been excellent. Now, he's been just awesome defensively, just as he's always been. But lately, he's been doing it on the offensive end as well. 
Over his past six games, he's averaged 13 points while shooting 54% from the field, also hitting two threes a game in that stretch. Uh, Still a super young player who needs to be seeing the floor, and I'm so happy that the Suns are finally giving him an opportunity. A nice low-cost buy option. You can buy his ungraded Prism Silver Rookie cards for around $5. I think they've been around $5 all season long. Not going to be a huge return on him, but I think you could at least double or triple your investment by this time next year. So we're not talking about huge dollar amounts, maybe a $5 return, a $10 return with you know, with, with eBay's 13% fees. It's a modest return, but you know what? It might be of interest to some of you. Some of you might not be interested in that, but there are others out there that do look for these these cheap options. And I think Michael Bridges is a good option. The last buy opportunity that I have time for is Tyler Harrell. The Heat made some moves at the deadline, particularly bringing in Andre Iguodala and uh, then promptly signing him to a two-year extension. I'm not sure what Miami thinks they're going to get from Iguodala over the next two seasons, um, but it does mean that Harrow is probably going to be losing minutes to end the year, and that creates a good buy opportunity for us. He's missed four games now with an ankle injury, and when he returns, I just think that the Miami Heat, who are one of the better teams in the East and figure to go pretty deep in the playoffs, they're just not going to be relying on a rookie in Tyler Harrow down the stretch. That should create a nice buy opportunity, especially going into the summer. If he ends the season with his stock down a bit because he's just not seeing the floor as much, and then he continues to lose some of his price going into the offseason, you should be buying Tyler Harrow in June, July, and August before things start to heat back up. He hasn't had a, a perfect rookie campaign by any stretch, but he does a lot of things around the court that you really like to see. We know Jimmy Butler is a big fan of his. We know Jimmy Butler's going to be around for a while. And I really think that puts Harrow in a good place to see some good investment returns heading into next season. His ungraded Prism Silver rookie cards are going for around $55 at the moment. And that should drop aways going into the offseason. And then you should be buying. All right. That's all I have time for. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to our podcast. Follow us on Instagram. Thanks for all your support.